Welcome to IB Talk, the leading podcast for the insurance industry across the UK and Ireland, brought to you by Insurance Business. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of IB Talk, the insurance industry podcast brought to you by Insurance Business. My name is Mia Wallace, Senior News Editor at Insurance Business UK, and today I am joined by the insurance industry veteran, Warren Downey, Group CEO Specialist with Group. Thank you very much for joining me here today, Warren. Hello, Mia. Nice to speak to you again, although I'm not sure about the veteran description. That seems that sounds like I'm ageing fast. Not at all. I, th- I think you've earned it, actually, because you've had a, a really interesting trajectory through the insurance profession. But I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how you first found your way into insurance. Yes, I think like lots of people, I probably fell into it rather than uh, aimed for it. Um, we're not always uh, the best at promoting the industry as a real career destination, which we're all working hard to change. But age 19, I uh, was in need of a job um, before going between school and university and um, walked down the Houndsditch past a personnel agency with jobs in the window, <laughs> saw one called Trainee Broker, and that was on a Friday um, on the in March uh, 1991, um, and wandered in and said, I think that looks like the job for me. And they said, what is it about that job that attracts you? I said, I have no idea what it is, so I'm just available. So I, um, I interviewed later that afternoon with uh, Lloyd Thompson and started on the Monday and left 28 years later. Fantastic. 28 years in, in that company. That is absolutely incredible. And when you look <laughs> back on your career, what have been some key standout milestones for you? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I think we're all my standout moments. It's funny, I'm, I'm, I'm in reflective mode um, this week because it was uh, my third anniversary at SRG. Um, I started on the day after Bank Holiday Monday in 2019. Um, and I also started t- today by doing a um, bit, taking part in a, one of our monthly induction session for new colleagues. Um, so twelve new uh, SRGers, um, and so it gets like philosophical when you have to go back to the top and 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 talk about what what we're trying to be and what we're trying to do and why we are the way we are. And of course, that's part of the your all of our backgrounds and history. And mine, you know, is is is. There's two dynamics, I think, that that mark out the milestones for me. One is how my boss or the firm that I work for made me feel. Um, And the other is the importance of being part of something that's growing. Um, And these might seem like quite obvious things, but, you know, there there are, I was telling um, some of our new joiners this morning that I, I remember how the company responded when I um, needed to move house. I needed to move actually from the UK to Sweden um, about six, seven years into my career. And the way in which my boss and my employer treated that whole situation sort of bred in me a, a desire to sort of absolutely, you know, give my best and be loyal and stick to the thing that we were trying to build together. So, you know, the thing they're, they're not always the things that are, about, um, 
you know, reward and promotion, but also how it feels to turn up at work and how it feels to be part of an organization. And and so that's always been a, a big dynamic. And and the other one being growth is, you know, all opportunities that I've had come fundamentally because the company was growing. And sometimes you, you know, you remind people that, you know, it's not growth for growth's sake, but one of the consequences of growth is that it creates opportunities for for good people and for people that want to try more and do more. And certainly, you know, I started off doing the photocopying um, back in 91 and queuing up in Lloyd's for my boss so that he could do some broking. Um, and uh, as the company grew from, you know, I think we were 300 people at the time to what eventually became um, JLT, um, that was a business of real scale. But the firm still made me feel all the way through that growth period that I mattered. I was part of something. And uh, that always encouraged me to, you know, give my absolute best. Because after all, we're kind of all volunteers. Um, you get paid to turn up, but that's not where the magic happens. The magic happens with all the discretionary effort, you know, going the extra mile, backing up a colleague, sorting out a client's problem. You know, they're you know, everyone gets paid to do a good job and everyone in our organization could probably be paid by someone else to do a good job somewhere else. But we hope, you know, and, and, and my highlights have been when you've been part of a culture that makes you want to do more than just that, more than turn up. So, I mean, apart from those two dynamics, I got the opportunity in the industry to live and work overseas, which um, has been brilliant. Eight, eight years in Sweden and four and a half in Singapore. Uh, didn't think I would ever do that. Um, and learned a lot about, um, you know, working across different cultures and languages, and and, and that, that was that's really really formative. My daughter was born in Singapore, so I got a lot a lot to thank my career for, um, in that sense. And um, yeah, just working with good people, um, and this is such a people oriented industry, and I've learned an awful lot um, in most recent years. The power of being in part of a team. And actually part of a double act. I've watched a few double acts in my time and I'm part of one now with Lee Anderson and we are, uh, I see real power in that in ways that I perhaps didn't when I first started out and thought it was all about the guy at the top. You've had an absolutely incredible career and it seems to me that coming from such a fantastic experience, getting so lucky with your first role and building up this remarkable trajectory, there must have been something really special about Specialist Risk Group to make you want to come across? Well, what was that attracted you to the group CEO role? Mm. Well, when I met the um, the owners, of, they had um, bought two Lloyd's brokers, with both of which um, had been around for some time, Miles Smith and TUE. And in fact, Specialist Risk Group didn't exist at the time. So it was really about, um, as the uh, acquisition of JLT by Marsh was coming to a conclusion, um, I was heading back to London and my sort of overriding feeling, apart from needing a job, was that um, it would be great to be involved in sort of building something of consequence that was a bit of a highlights reel of my best experiences and as an employee and as a manager and as a boss and and to try and, you know, do do what you're supposed to do in parenting, really, which is try not to make all the mistakes your parents made and, you know, uh, and, and learn from the things that they did really well. And I think that what I saw in the, the bare bones of what has become SRG was critical mass 
to, to not start from zero because it's very, very difficult to start from nothing. Um, so enough critical mass to have something to adapt and to adjust and to work with, um, but early enough in its evolution to really set a tone and a culture uh, and a style um, that was not set before I arrived. So I think that that was the real attraction is, you know, here's an opportunity to build something that's specialist, that's fast growing, that's centered around people and culture, to build a team that, you know, a leadership team that sort of didn't exist. Um, and this felt like it had the core foundational agreement uh, 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 ingredients. Uh, and that's really what attracted me, the, the, the ability to make a difference. And in the market, I just feel that, you know, there's been an awful lot of consolidation in our market and um, there are um, actors within the market that see that as a, an entirely positive dynamic. Um, from a, a, a regulatory perspective, it's, it's, it's probably a net positive. Um, from an investor perspective, if you're part of the investment community, it's, a, it's been an incredible journey. But it's not always the best for client choice uh, and, and for market concentration of risk with just a few distribution players. So to my mind, you know, it's not just about building the right culture, but it's building a business of consequence that can make a real difference in the market by the quality of its work and the amount of premium it flows into the market that, um, you know, that seems to me to be gently disappearing over time if we're not careful. I think you're absolutely right. And it's, it's fascinating that from the very early doors of your career, you got an insight into the core ingredients that it takes to build a great culture, how people are made to feel and being part of something that's growing and evolving. Have those two dynamics been integral to the culture that you've built at SRG? Yeah, I think so. I think I think they, um, I'm in that sort of, I suppose there's, there's lots of different kinds of leaders and I fall into the category of people that believe that if you focus on your people and the culture within which they operate, then nearly everything else will take care of itself. And so, you know, you can be caught up in a world of tension around stakeholders, um, you know, investors, markets, regulators, customers, colleagues, leaders. There's a lot of people, to, there's a lot of balls to juggle. But my conviction after seeing it done different ways is that if people come, if good people are attracted to an environment where they want to give of their best and do the right thing for their customers and clients, then the economics will take care of themselves and the investors will be satisfied and the market will see growth and we will operate safely because that's the right way to operate. And I think that, so we're unashamedly a people first culture and that sort of comes out in a number of different ways, um, you know, including the fact that every all 500 people in our organization have the same personal objectives, which is to both hit our numbers, but also to be good colleagues. And um, we, we, we measure that. And we uh, we set out what that means and what it doesn't mean. And, uh, you know, people that are working really hard um, and need more than one shot at hitting their numbers, that's absolutely fine. But we give kind of less chances to be a good colleague um, because it's so fundamental to what we're trying to be. And by putting that first um, and alongside that, the other thing that, you know, I feel is, you know, critical to accessible build out is specialism. You know, people and culture and specialism is is the that's it. It's we're trying to keep it simple, um, and that's what we carry around with us. And um, the conversation this morning 
with my new joiners, uh, which is sort of very fresh in my mind, was all about the the purpose of the company. And we've got an interesting purpose, which is to build the kind of company we're proud to tell our friends and family about, which is not a, a, a typical mission statement for an insurance-breaking firm, but it, 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 it sort of encapsulates what we believe will make a difference in in the world and the, in the broader sense and in a narrow sense for, for us individually and for clients is that, you know, I've been to a lot of, um, you know, parties, cocktail parties, dinners, things like that, um, and with people from outside the industry. And I might, you know, occasionally refer to the fact I work in financial services <laughs> um, as to not to appear boring. Um, and we now think that we get good stories from our team where they will go out with their friends and they'll say, well, how, what, what, what's your company like? What's your business like? What, what's going on in your career? And, and when our people can say, oh, I work in this really exciting place that puts people first, helps me develop as a professional, got a really clear strategy, we're doing something different, and it's really exciting, then I think we've done something right. Um, so that's part of the objective. I must say, I really love that ethos of being a company that you're proud to tell your friends and family about. I think it's a, a really refreshing way of looking at the insurance proposition. But of course, having a great business culture is one thing and preserving it is a completely different kettle of fish. And from your experience, how can a great culture be preserved? Yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's, it's, it's a question that I spend a sufficient amount of time worrying about because, in you know, as we all know, scale can be the enemy of culture. Um, you get things with scale that you didn't have when you were small. You know, when you're a smaller business, you can know everyone, you can influence everyone, you can have that sort of direct face-to-face um, when we're not in lockdown um, uh, uh, engagement with people that means that you're carrying the culture around with you all the time. And with scale, sometimes comes sort of layers of management that aren't you. And, um, you know, with really big scale, sometimes comes geographic and time zone boundaries and politics and things like that. And But I think that, you know, I think that there are great companies of scale and, you know, they, they may not be all sitting in our industry showing the best of themselves, but there are certainly firms in the world that have sustained positive cultures, high levels of engagement whilst still being large and growing. And with 500 people, we're some way away from that real challenge, that real problem of um, of sustaining our, our, our starting culture. But for me, you know, if it's about people and culture, it's also about leaders. And we have a, you know, for a relatively small company, we have quite a sophisticated, high potential, high performance development program for the next generation of leaders in our business. Uh, we've just had the first um, group uh, graduate and the second group starting uh, in a month or two's time. Um, and those people come off that uh, year and a bit um, equipped to lead and immediately trusted to lead because it's often in part leaders who carry culture. So if you can build your own, uh, recruit people of a similar mindset, train and develop people to be carriers of that of that thought, uh, then you're much more likely to sustain it with growth. So we've had in the last you know year, we've had 30 or 40 first time line managers trained and trained with people and culture first in mind. And we've had We'll now be going on to into the twenties of people that are on our future leaders program with people and PL responsibilities as they come off that course. Um, and they are in no doubt that the ingredients to the success in SRG is is people and culture 
And therefore, we're, we're equipping people to sustain it, hopefully intentionally rather than by accident. Fantastic. And this is a very timely conversation, Warren, given the new SRGs that you are meeting with so recently. And when you were having that meeting, when you were having the chance to catch up with these young people and this new talent, when you look around the insurance market today, are you confident about the future of insurance broking? I am. I think I think there's a um we 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 don't do very much um what's lovingly known as consumer business. So, so our clients are, you know, often uh, commercial and professional firms. And uh, in the case of our MGA business and wholesale business, other insurance intermediaries, other brokers. And, you know, I think where you add real value as a specialist in deep and narrow segments where perhaps you understand um, more about the segment and the risks within it than others, then there's always a relevance. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm particularly confident about the future of specialist and, and, and uh, added value insurance broking. I do think, I still think there needs to be more challenges in the marketplace um, to the big global firms. Um, they do an incredible job. Um, I was part of one of them. Um, but I do think that, you know, it is, it is preferable for there to be a not insignificant group of specialist, high growth, strong culture businesses that are sort of magnets for, for talent and acquisitions, because we, we, we're an acquisitive company. We, we like to bring not only individual recruits like this morning, but also companies that are deep and narrow and have a growth mindset and put people first. And, and you know, I, th- I, th- I still think there's lots of room for high growth specialists, both through organic and acquisition growth to bring some balance, some client choice, uh, some balance to the market, um, some uh, dilution of distribution uh, dynamics for insurers to develop new products. Um, And so I'm both confident about the industry, but very keen to play our part in making sure that it's true, that we're building a business of consequence and therefore serving the wider industry ultimately. Absolutely. I think building a business of consequence is just such a a critical way to go about building a business, to go about doing business. And I think it's really healthy for the markets. But just finally, as somebody who fell into insurance rather inadvertently, what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't in insurance? Um, well, obviously, I'd be a golf if I was, uh, you know, I'd be a golf pro, which is why I'm working in insurance because I'm rubbish at golf. Um, uh, I think I think this last uh, three years, I've been involved involved a lot in mergers and acquisitions um, in in ways that I hadn't been as much involved in in the past, and I I think I'd probably do something around there because I've I've, I've found the sort of the process of acquiring and evaluating and aligning um, to be reasonably broken in, in, in the marketplace. I think it, it, it looks, it's so uh, financially driven that the cultural elements and the things that make things work after the check has been written don't play a significant enough part. Um, the, you know, people wanting to build genuine legacy and to develop their next tier of people um, is are big driving factors for people that have built businesses and and are looking to sell them. So I think 
you know, that's something that's playing an important part in our growth. And, you know, I, I think we, I'd certainly want to do more of that where we are. And if I wasn't doing what I'm doing, I'd probably be doing something around that elsewhere. <laughs> Well, as much of a loss as it is for the pro-golfing sphere, I must say, I, I think I speak for a lot of the market when I say I'm very, very glad you found your way into insurance. <laughs> well, you're, you can speak on behalf of the green keepers of Kent as well, because they're pretty happy about it as well. Yeah, that sounds pretty fair, I must say. And it's, thank you very much for joining me here today, Warren. It's been such a pleasure to hear about your story and about the culture that you're building at SRG. Thanks, Mia. It's really good to speak to you again. Take care. Thank you to everybody for tuning in and I look forward to welcoming you next time here on IB Talk. Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher and Apple Podcasts.